Thank you, Bob. Good morning. So today I'm going to be talking about reverse osmosis, which is a strange subject, isn't it, for church? Um, it's not the scientific osmosis we're looking at, it's the social osmosis. So I better read the definition, and that is the process of gradual or unconscious assimilation of ideas, knowledge, etc. So basically, osmosis is a word that we can use to describe the effect of our social surroundings and our, the culture around us. And we are all affected by the culture around us. And of course, as Christians, we're called to live holy lives sacrificially for Christ and not necessarily partaking all the things the world gets up to. So let's have a look at what the world does get up to. Um, yep, that's worked. Okay, so on this screen, we're doing split screen today. On this screen, we've got a Bible which represents God's stuff. And on this screen, we have images that represent things that the world is interested in. And I've deliberately chosen positive images. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. They're things like owning a nice house, having a career, having a nice car, etc. Perfectly good things. So if we, if we go into this world and we say to the world, what do you think of God? What do you think of the church? You'll get all sorts of answers. And a typical answer would be, God, who's that? He doesn't exist anymore. Or if you said, what do you think of the church? They'd say, um, well, you can go to church, but that's for you. It's not for me. Um, church is it's dull, isn't it? It's boring. It's irrelevant, out of date, old-fashioned, etc. But the, the irony is, if the world took more notice of what is in the Word of God, the Bible, uh, they might get a surprise. So, for example, if you open the first pages of the Bible, we are reading Genesis, and that is describing how the world is the start of creation. And if you, strangely, if you turn to the back of the Bible, Revelation, um, you find out how the world ends. And there's other references in the Bible about how the world ends. So if a book has got the start and the end and lots of exciting things in the middle, how can it ever be irrelevant? How can it ever go out of date? I kind of liken it to maths. I've got a maths question, so I need you to shout out the answer. What is one plus one? Two plus two. Easy. Now, at the start of the universe, those um, maths answers were the same, were they not? One plus one still equal two. And at the end of the universe, when it all finishes, maths will still be the same. It will still be one equals two. And unless heaven is a very odd place mathematically, I'd imagine in heaven it would still be the same. And that's like the word of God. The maths does not change. You can't say to maths, uh, excuse me, you're out of date, or you're boring. Well, you could say boring, actually, couldn't you? Um, maths is a constant. It never changes. It's exactly the same as the Word of God. It is a constant. It is unchanging. Jesus in himself said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So, we live in a godly society. Is this really bad? Are we living in the darkest possible ages we've ever seen? Has it never been this bad in history? Uh, no. We've, God has seen this all before. We, we all live very short lives compared to God, and we just see a tiny bit of history. But actually, this has happened again and again and again. So we're going to take a trip back in time and start off by looking at the Old Testament. I'm going to be reading from Judges 2 in a minute. Um, and Judges 2 is the point in history where 
Israel has been in the desert for 40 years. They've gone into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. And Joshua is an old man and he's died. And what I want to pick up from this passage is that how easily mankind, because these guys are just human beings, how easily mankind is led astray by the things of the world. So let us read that. Hold on. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. After that, whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshipping them. Thank you, Josh. Okay, cool. So, um, basically, if we look at that passage, it kind of goes like this. Generation one, the Joshua generation, they're really good pals of God. They, they, they connected God, they've seen his milk, they think, hey, God rocks. And then time comes, time travels, and, you, you, and the osmosis effect kicks in, and they start, they start looking over, over here, and you get the next generations rising up, you get generations one and three, and they, they go, ooh, that's interesting, isn't it? Check that out. And they look back at generation one, who are now old or maybe dead, and they go, generation one, who's this Lord God you're talking about? Have you seen this? This is the latest model. And, uh, and then God gets mad, of course, doesn't he? And uh, he's, in this passage, particularly, he points out that he, God sends in raiding parties and plunders the Israelites. And they, they look at these guys and they go, help. And they don't do much because they're just statues. And so um, there might be the odd prophet or judge around who says, Remember the Lord your God? Maybe you should repent. And they will go, God, help. And uh, they'll come back to God. And uh, they'd repent. And things will be okay for a time. And they, they get tight with God again. And guess what? Once again, time moves on. You get the, the uh, surrounding nations um, coming in again. And you get another generation. Generation two and three will come along. And they go, wow. And the whole thing just goes on and like that. And if you look at the... The, the whole history of Israel, you see this pattern happening and again and again. You get them swinging to and from God, to and from God constantly. Right. So, we've been looking at um, a nation. I'd now like to look at an individual, King Solomon. Now, King Solomon was one of the more famous uh, kings of the Bible. He was famous for being famous, he was famous for being rich, and he was famous for being really, really wise. In fact, when he was given his wisdom, it was a, he wasn't born super wise, he, it was a God-given wisdom, supernaturally given to him. And it actually says that he was the wisest man that ever lived, or ever will live. So, 
he, in all of history, he is the wisest human that's ever been out there. Um, you could argue that Jesus was probably wiser, but since he was a son of God, that's cheating, so we won't count him. So, being the wisest human being on earth, did he make wise choices? No, he did make a mistake. So, he basically disobeyed one command. That command was, do not intermarry with the nations around you. And he did. He intermarried with many wives. In fact, he intermarried with 700 wives. And that alone is quite a distraction, I think. And of course, um, they brought in their own culture, etc., and their gods. And as he got old, he went astray. And we're going to... Well, Giles is now going to read that. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. Thank you, Jairus. The thing I want to pick out particularly from that passage is his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. Now, it doesn't say that he completely just went off somewhere else. It just says he wasn't fully devoted. So he had a few other gods in his life, but he still honoured God. But even, even so, he still honoured God, and it was just a divided thing. God was still really mad at him. And if you continue to read the, uh, the scriptures further on, you can see that terrible things happened to the kingdom of Israel, and it all went rather pear-shaped. So what can we learn from this? We can learn that even the wisest person that ever lived got it wrong and we are no more wiser than him and we can try to learn from the mistakes of the past and the mistakes of the past is being distracted so let's change screens again yeah lovely so in summary i've been looking at how it's easy to be led astray and what i want to look at now is how we should behave in regard to that, um, what does the word say about this? What does Jesus say about following him? So coming back to the New Testament, and now shining the spotlight on our lives. Um, first, not all the rest of the scriptures are not going to come up. I'm just going to read them. First Corinthians 15. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Do not be mi misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Now this verse is clearly written in the concept of not hang hanging out with bad people. But I think we can equally apply it to bigger things. So if we hang out in the world and we are passionate and we spend time on worldly things, guess what? We'll be worldly. However, if we make the choice, and it is a choice, to hang out with God, talk to him, reading his word, worshipping, etc., then guess what? There's a correlation there and we will become more holy. It's a simple link. It is our choice where we invest our time, our heart, and our energy. And when we invest our heart and our energy into the things of God, we will be transformed. We will be transformed to be more Christ-like, and our whole character will be transformed. Right, I'm now going to read John 15. This is Jesus speaking. And Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me... Now I'm going to interrupt this and say, if you remain in me, that basically means 
hanging out with Jesus, being rooted and plugged into him. Remaining in Jesus is not focusing on that as your priority. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You will be transformed. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown in, into the fire and burned. So what he's saying is, if you're not in a relationship with Jesus and you're not hanging out with him and you're just hanging out in the plain old world, you're going to hell. It's quite simple. We have a choice where, where, where we spend our time. It is a matter of the heart where we put, where, where we put our time. And I just want to pick up here um, that verse uh, about King Solomon where he was not fully devoted. You see, our God actually demands all of us. He doesn't want part-time Christians. There's no reference to part-time Christians or Sunday Christians. He wants our whole lives. Uh, I've got a similar verse um, to the one I just read. Again, it's Jesus speaking. I'm going to pick out different things from it. Matthew 16. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. It's saying there, denying themselves, is there's lots of really cool things in the, in the world. There's nothing wrong with that. But to engage with those and put our, those as our number one in our lives is a sort of a selfish act, if you like. And God is saying, Jesus is saying, actually deny that. I want you to put myself as king of your heart. Um, and then continuing, for whoever wants to save their life, hanging out in the world, doing their thing, will lose it. But whoever loses a life for me, that is, focuses on him, ignoring worldly stuff, will find it. For what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Um, I've got an illustration, a little funny illustration. Imagine it is the end of the world and it's judgment day and it's our turn to be judged. And we come to Jesus and he, he opens a book and he goes, Hello, welcome to judgment. And he said, let's see what you've been up to in your life. And he, oh, you went to TWCF, excellent. Very good. Oh, I did like Stuart and Rob, they were, they were good guys. Um, what else did you get up to? Oh, I see that during the week, you really focused on your career. You had a nice house, that's nice, nice family, and you took them on nice holidays. Um, did you not read my scriptures? There's nowhere in my scriptures it says, focus on your career, focus on getting a big house, etc. So it doesn't say that. Actually, my, my scripture says, I want, you to give you, I want you to give me your life. That's what the word says. Um, away from me. That's quite a, a harsh illustration, but I'd like to back that up with another scripture. Um, remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God. And there was a little bit of conversation. He said, I've been keeping the commands, etc. And the conclusion of the matter is Jesus said to him, you must give your riches to the poor. Now the reason he said that is because he was clinging on to his riches in his heart and he wouldn't want to surrender them. So am I now going to say that we all have to go home and put our house on the market and give it all away? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we need to give our hearts wholly to Jesus Christ and sell ourselves to him. The reason this guy was particularly asked to um, sell his belongings was because it was such a big thing in his heart 
that he couldn't let go of. He was like, I'm rich. And, it, and he was a ruler as well. And he was like, I want this. Uh, I want eternal life, but oh, I can't let go of that. It, it's so important to let go of the world. And we'll, we'll just put it in second place. So, coming to the end now. What if we are here? Over here, and I'm going to throw in another word. I'm going to throw in the word sin and, and, and brokenness. What if we're, we're really wrapped up in the world? And you're saying to me, James, this is a great message, but that just seems so far away from me, and I, 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 can't, I can't get over there. I don't think I've got the strength to get there. Well, the, the thing is, being wrapped up in the world and possibly sin and, and brokenness, that is actually the default position that we're all born into. That this is the normal position for the, world, for the world. Strangely, that's why it's called the world. That is position one. And to transition from here to there is impossible. No one can do it. And that's where this really cool guy comes in. His name is Jesus Christ. And he is my Lord and Savior. And I'm passionately in love with him. And he died on the cross for our sins. And it's only a simple matter of saying, I need you. I need you in my life. I can't do it without you. And saying yes to Jesus. And when we say yes to Jesus, we are transported towards holiness. And do you think if you did this on day one, that the next day you're going to wake up and you're going to go, I'm holy and I'm all fixed. Yeah, it doesn't quite work like that. You are holy in the eyes of God, but actually it takes time to to be transformed. I've been working at it 23 years. You can ask my wife if I've got there yet. It is a journey. And the point is, we can say yes to Jesus today, but we need to say yes to Jesus on a daily basis. It's a life thing. It's not a today thing. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, at work, whenever. Every day, every hour of our lives, we need to cling on to Jesus. So I'm just going to end by throwing out a question and then I'll hand back to Rob and that question is simply this are you right with God? are you connected with God? are you sold out for Jesus Christ? and if you're not I would encourage you to engage with God engage with God and go on that journey Amen Brilliant. Thank you, James.